Amen, amen. Hey, grab a seat, and as you do, get your Bible on your lap to Acts chapter 14. And if you need a Bible, there's one under a seat by you. And if you don't own a Bible, leave with that. That is our gift to you. We would love for you to have a copy of God's Word. Acts chapter 14. Um, while you turn there, I want to just start today's message with uh, just reading of Scripture that we find uh, throughout uh, the New Testament, uh, many of these are, are, are words that have been uh, spoken directly from our Lord's mouth, and um, you will see the consistent theme as I read these, but I want to start the time and set the tone for today with just, just the reading of the word. In Matthew 5, we see this. Um, at the end of the Beatitudes, as Jesus begins preaching his Sermon on the Mount, he says this, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Again, in the book of John, from the mouth of our Lord, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Again in the book of John, Jesus says, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. And then Paul writes in a letter to a younger guy in ministry, a guy named Timothy. He writes these words. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That leaves no exceptions. And I know we're here today because we desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. Amen? And now it tells us that if that is our desire, we will be persecuted without exception. Now, it's important that we start with just what does Scripture say about this? The, the persecution of the believer. And um, I had always, I'd grown up in church, and so I'd, uh, I'd been familiar with the Bible for the first 19 years of my life. 19 is when Jesus gripped, he got, Lord, Jesus became Lord, and I started studying the Scriptures more uh, fervently then. And then uh, just three years ago, began this journey of teaching the Bible on a near-weekly basis. And it wasn't until I began teaching the Bible on a near-weekly basis that I understood how often Scripture talks about the tribulation, the hardship, and the persecution for the believer. Now, this is really important that we understand what God says about this, because if you take off from here, you uh, go over to Barnes & Noble, you walk to the back right corner where it says Christian living, and you just start to peruse the, the titles that uh, grace the covers of Christian books, um, if we're not careful, they don't always match up to what we just read from Jesus' own words. Titles like Every Day of Friday. Titles like Your Best Life Now. Are you seeing a consistent author theme to these? Um, I won't go there. Um, he just spoke in Indy last weekend, but I won't go there. Um, the, the Blessed Life. 
blessed as defined by no hard, just everything up and to the right, and it's all good. Listen, what happens is if we don't have a biblical understanding about the tribulation and persecution that comes to the believer, we will get very... Uh, we will despair when we've trusted Christ as Savior and then hardship, tribulation, and trials come. We'll go, God, what is up with this? I didn't know this was part of it. In fact, when we read Scripture, Jesus goes, no, no, no. To follow me is to invite that into your life. I bring this up because we are following at this part of the book of Acts, Paul through his first missionary journey. And what we're going to see today, and we, we can see on the map where we've been with Paul up to this point. The journey began over in Antioch in Syria in the east. He's made his way to Cyprus and then up uh, kind of a little bit to the west here to Perga. We left him in Pisidian Antioch last week. Um, today we finish Paul's first missionary journey. And as we finish Paul's first missionary journey, what we're going to do is we're going to follow him to the remaining cities on his outbound journey, and then we're going to take the turn with him as he comes back inbound all the way to Antioch in Syria. Now, as he makes the turn and begins to work his way back to Antioch, he is going to stop and he's going to visit the towns he had been in in the first place. This is a pretty radical thing as we're going to see. He's going to go back to towns where people hate him, where people have tried to kill him. And as he goes back to these towns, what he's going to do is he's going to teach these young Jesus followers. He's going to try to encourage them in their newfound faith. And here is the message he's going to bring to these new Jesus followers. It's seeking to encourage them. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And you're like, that does not appear very encouraging on the surface. But it is. Paul's going to come back and he's going to encourage them and they're going to see him beaten up and just absolutely battered. And he's going to go, no, 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 no. All of this you're seeing, the beatings, the stonings, all that. Guess what? It's worth it, guys. We enter the kingdom. There's a kingdom one day we'll enter. But it comes through many tri tribulations that we'll walk through here. And so here's what we're going to do as we walk through Acts chapter 14. We're going to start with the premise that to follow Jesus means we enter the kingdom through many tribulations. And then we're going to see three, three things that are going to answer the question, why? Why does the Christian enter the kingdom through many tribulations? Three things I think are going to be clear from the passage today. And then... In the very end of the message, we're going to ask another why question. Okay, if to follow Jesus means to invite tribulation, if all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, why would I follow Jesus? We're going to answer that very important why question all the way at the end. And so let's pray and ask for God's help right now as we study his word. God, we, we, we do this every week, but we really need your help. Because, um, Lord, we're going to, study scripture, and we're going to see that because people, directly because people are followers, followers of you, they're going to get stoned. Directly because people are followers of you, they're going to be hated. Directly because people are followers of you, Lord, they're going to be despised. Lord, we are here today because we desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. But we want to understand what your word says about that. Lord, this is not a topic that makes the 
uh, list of popular titles in the Christian living section of bookstores, but Lord, this is in your word, and we want to be people of your word. We want to understand the joy of what it looks like to be persecuted and suffer for the cause of Christ. Lord, in your own words, you told us to rejoice and be glad when that happens. We want to know how we can rejoice and be glad in that. So God, would you help us now as we work our way through a chapter of your word? Speak to us by the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Acts chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. Let's go back to the map so you can see where we're at. We left Paul and Barnabas in Pisidian Antioch. We're heading east now where the action begins in chapter 14 to a city called Iconium. And it's here, it's in Iconium that we find Paul and Barnabas now. Now at Iconium, they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. Now, let's just stop there. This shouldn't surprise us. We've seen this as kind of the MO for Paul and Barnabas as they make their way to a new city. They need a good front door. They need a good place where they will, will have a platform to share the gospel, and synagogues are the place for that. Remember we saw last week, Paul was invited to preach um, as he made his way into the synagogue in Antioch. Um, he's invited, it appears, to preach again as he makes his way into the synagogue in Iconium, and rejoice and praise the Lord. Many believed, both of Jews and Greeks, many believed. Now, what you see there at the end of verse 1 should cue us on to something. Anytime you see a great number of people believing, what do we usually find on the heels of that in the book of Acts? Persecution. It's this cycle that we've seen throughout the book of Acts. God sends people, people go, um, the gospel's proclaimed and they're going, opposition comes, the gospel multiplies. And it's the pattern, the recurring pattern we see throughout this book. So let's see if that's the case. Verse 2. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. First word of verse 3 is what? So, we'll come back to that. So, they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. And so, a great number of people, both Jews and Greeks, believe. And the unbelieving Jews are like, no, we're not going to let this happen in our town. It says they stir up the people. Uh, it says they poison their mind. And now we have another city divided. We have a group of people now opposing Paul and Barnabas and the message of Jesus Christ, uh, bitterly opposing it, hostile to it. But what was the first word of verse 3? So... You have to see the connection between verses 2 and verse 3. Paul and Barnabas now have a group of people hostile towards them, and it's for that purpose. So, in order, uh, because of, because of these people is why they stay here, and they remain for a long time, and they're speaking boldly for the Lord to encourage and nourish the new believers who are there. That so is a because of so. Because of the, these people that are poisoning them and hostile towards them, they are staying there to encourage the work of God. They do not run just because there's people opposing them. They hunker down and they stay right there and they get after it for the Lord in that city. 
And it tells us the Lord's hand is on them. And he's substantiating their message by showing people the signs and the wonders that God is using them. And you'd think if these guys, they're proclaiming this message of grace, they're telling people that the Savior has come, God is substantiating this. There's signs and miracles that are happening. I mean, the whole city's going to be won over for the Lord, right? Right? Yeah, not so much. Verse 4. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them, they learned of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Laconia, and to the surrounding country, and they continued to preach the gospel. What you have is exactly what we've seen. You have a city divided. Uh, says some of them have believed and they're embracing this message of Jesus. Others, their mind has been poisoned. They've been stirred up and there's chaos and they hate this message that has come and they're against the message of Jesus. And here's what we have to see. Before we get there, let me say Jesus, Jesus said this division was going to happen because of him. Luke 12, these are the words of Jesus. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No. I tell you, but rather division. For from now on in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided, father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And now we're saying that that doesn't sound like a very Jesus-esque statement. What's up with that? Jesus, he was just foretelling what the gospel was going to do. The gospel is going to be proclaimed. And it's, it's, it, to use this word, we're going to, it's polarizing. People embrace it and believe, and people hate the exclusivity of the gospel, and they reject it in an angry manner. It's the first thing we got to understand about this statement we're camping on today. We enter the kingdom through many tribulations, because we proclaim Jesus, and he is polarizing. Jesus is polarizing. And now that's not sacrilegious. I'm just stating the fact. It was true in the city of Iconium back then, 2,000 years ago, and it's true in our culture here today, that Jesus, just the name of Jesus, is polarizing. Had Paul walked into this synagogue in Iconium and had he just played it safe and preached a nice little sermon on God as this generic loving God, he would have been invited to the potluck afterwards. People would have invited him over later. He would have been invited to stay at their house. But that's not what Paul did. Paul walked into the synagogue and he preached the message of Jesus. And it was the message of Jesus that that sent people flying to the extreme poles. It's no different for us today. Share with folks about a generic version of a big God who loves us, and they'll get warm fuzzies for the most part. Oh, thank you. I'm so encouraged. Drop the name of Jesus in the conversation. And watch people run to the extremes. Why is Jesus so polarizing? 
I think the big thing, especially in our culture today, Jesus and the message of Jesus is polarizing because we believe this to be true about the message. The first thing we believe to be true is that all of humanity is deeply flawed in what God calls sin. And the moment we start the message there, hey, you, you've sinned, that can put people on their heels right away. But it's just the fact of what God has spoken to be true of us. And because we have sinned, all of us are deserving of the penalty that God has initiated for the sin, and that is the death penalty. We all deserve death, separation from God, from a holy God forever because of our sin. Now, people, we can polarize people right at that point. And they might not even hear us get to the good news. The good news is that our holy and gracious and awesome God, and isn't he awesome? And I don't say that in a courting sense. Isn't our God awesome? He's awesome. He sees us in our sin plight. He sends his son, Jesus Christ, to pay our penalty, our death penalty on his behalf, on our behalf, on the cross, that the moment we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we are saved, God says. We get to enjoy him forever in his kingdom through Jesus Christ. Now, here's what can polarize people on this. We believe that salvation comes through only one name, and that is Jesus he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father except through him. And people in our culture especially don't like the, the exclusive one-way nature of Christ, but we lose sight of the fact that a good and gracious God, a holy God, has given us one way. That's the good news. And this is why Jesus is polarizing. Now, you polarize two groups long enough, and it's only a matter of time before violence breaks out. And this is exactly what we see here. Back to verse 5. When an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and to stone them. What is the goal of a stoning? Yeah, you don't just stone someone just to like slap them on the wrist. The goal of a stoning is to kill. Paul and Barnabas hear that there's an attempted assassination plan going on. And they're like, now's the time for us to move to the next city. And so they do. Off to Lystra, there go, they go where they preach the gospel there. Now, pick it up in Lystra in verse 8. Now, at Lystra, there was a man sitting who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul speaking, and Paul, looking intently at him and seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. Flashback, right? Uh, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John walking up to the temple, same sort of deal happens. Now you have Paul and Barnabas in a, a land far, far away over in Lystra, and same things happens. Power of God on display, the healing of a man who could not walk. Look at how the people of Lystra respond to this. Verse 11, and when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices saying in uh, Laconian, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. And the priest of Zeus, whose temple was at the entrance to the city, they brought oxen and garlands to the gates and wanted to offer sacrifices with the crowds. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of it, they tore their garments and rushed out into the crowd crying out, Men, why are you doing these things? We also are men of like nature with you, and we bring you good news that you should turn from these vain things to a living God who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. 
In past generations, he allowed all the nations to walk in their own ways. Yet he did not leave himself without witness, for he did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Even with these words, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. The crowds see this man healed. They know this guy. He's not, he couldn't walk and he could never walk. And now he's walking. And the media, you have to, we have to understand, Paul is dealing now with a much different group of people than he was in Antioch and Iconium. In Antioch and Iconium, he's dealing with Jews. They're in the synagogue. They, they, they have a framework for Yahweh. Now he's in Lystra, and these are pagan Greek God-worshiping people. And they see this, and their immediate religious background and context goes, the gods are here. You're Zeus, you're Hermes. But they're saying this, it says, in Laconian. And, and, and Paul and Barnabas, you can tell that they, people scatter and there's all kinds of activity going on. And all of a sudden there's reeds being brought out and they're putting them on them. And there's oxen and they're going to slaughter. And they're, they're like, there's some religious thing going on. And someone's like, yeah, you're Zeus and you're... And he's like, no, 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 no. Let us tell you about the one true God. And when Paul was preaching in the synagogues, he would, um, he would teach from the Hebrew scriptures in a way trying to convince them of God. He's now dealing with completely pagan Greek God-worshipping people. He's appealing to um, God's general grace of the goodness through nature. He's brought rains on you, and he's sustained you in good seasons, and he's telling these pagans about the one true God. And it says, even in that, they could scarcely keep these people from wanting to worship them. Now, you're thinking, I thought this was a message about how following Jesus can bring, like, violence and tribulation. These guys are being worshipped. Well... Give, give it a second, because that's going to change real quickly. Verse 19. But Jews came from where? From Antioch and? Okay, you just got to stop there and get this, right? These two cities are the last two cities Paul and Barnabas have been in. In these last two cities, they were uh, forced out of town with pitchforks saying, get out and stay out. The last city they fled from because there's an attempted assassination, uh, there's a hit on their life. The people of these cities aren't good with just get out and stay out. They're now hunting Paul and Barnabas down for the fact that they carry this message of Jesus Christ. The people from Antioch would have traveled over 100 miles just to hunt Paul and Barnabas down. This has become the new infatuation of their life. Go get these men and kill these men. And they show up at Lystra. And look at what happens here. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowd, one minute the crowd's going, their gods are here, the gods are here. The next minute the crowd's going, kill them. Sound familiar? Hosanna, Hosanna, crucify, crucify. The crowds turn against them, but Jews from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. They turn the crowd 
They reach down and they grab the stones. Stones not the size for the purpose of stinging the skin. Stones the size with a purpose of crushing the skull. And they just start heaving. And they don't stop until Paul is unconscious on the ground. And it says they think he's dead. And so what they do then is they drag his body, the dead weight of his body, outside of the city where the goal is for his dead body to rot, or so they think. And we just want to stop here, and I want to make our second point. Why must we enter the kingdom through many tribulations? Secondly, it's because we proclaim Jesus, and this brings with it persecution. Persecution means um, to be directly assaulted, to be directly maligned because of our faith. And it's the proclamation of Jesus, it's this message of the gospel that what we see through Scripture brings stoning and beatings and death, imprisonment, on those who proclaim it. It brings persecution because we as Christians, we bear the name of Christ. It brings persecution because we proclaim the message of Christ. And it brings persecution because Scripture says that if we're in Christ, we are the very fragrance of Christ. We're the aroma of Christ. And it's an aroma of life, Scripture says, to those that are being saved. And it's an aroma of death to those that are perishing. Now, I think it's really, really important here that we spend some time and just state the obvious. We're reading events from 2,000 years ago, this relatively new um, faith of the way or the followers of Jesus. And we're reading of these stonings. But 2,000 years later, we live and praise God for where we live and that we can come here without fear of people busting through the doors and stoning us. But 2,000 years later, we live right now on the south side of Indianapolis in America where these events feel so foreign to us as Christians here. I'm willing to bet none of us in the room have uh, had an attempted assassination directly because of your faith. I'm willing to bet none of us in here have been beaten, stoned, or an otherwise physically assaulted because of our faith. I'm not saying that, I'm just saying I'm willing to bet. I'm willing to bet none of us in here have ever been imprisoned directly because of our faith. And I'm willing to bet none of us in here have lost something of great significance in our life because of our faith. And so the temptation now is when we get to verses like this to just study these as events of the past that have little bearing on our life today. Now, I can't stand up here and go, here's exactly how persecution is going to happen in your life because of Jesus. But I do want to make some statements on this. You're like, you're going to think I'm all Armageddon and doom and gloom on this, but hang with me here. And the statements I want to make are, it's important we study passages like this because it's passages like this that can prepare us for what may be ahead for us as Christians. And I'm not saying this for shock value. I'm not saying this to, for fear. Like, we just don't know what is ahead for us as Christians in this life. 
We do know that in other parts of the world right now, people are imprisoned and beaten and stoned and killed directly because of their faith in Jesus. There's nothing in our life right now here in our culture and context that would indicate that we're close to those days. But those days very well could come. And if we just believe, no, it'll never happen, it'll never happen, it'll never happen, that may be true. But the other reality is it may happen. And if we study passages like this now, if those days ever come, we will know that that's not God judging us. It's actually what God said was going to happen. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so should the day ever come, Harvest Bible Chapel, where we find ourselves in a culture and in a country where to get up and come to a place like this to worship Jesus and to study the word could mean some significant trials in our life, will we still get up on a Sunday and come and do that? And should the day come in our culture, in our country, when to preach certain passages of this book will mean um, the, the potential arrest of your pastor, will we still preach these passages of this book? And I want to say it now while things are good and before that time comes, I'm vowing and committing to you today that we will. And if it means walking out in cuffs, take care of my family. But I think sometimes we, we just get lulled to sleep in our comfort American Christian culture and we think those days won't ever come, those days won't ever come. Well, there's other parts of the world right now where those days have come and they were saying at one time, those days will never come. It's not for shock value. It's not for a fear factor. It's just a reality. Are we prepared should those days come? Because we see this as a theme through Scripture of what it means to follow Christ. So Paul's stoned here. He's persecuted for his faith. And what happens next is the very definition of insanity. Verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And now you're going, wait, what city? When the disciples gathered about him, he wasn't dead. He got back up and he walked right back into the city where he just got stoned in. And you know that if you were there, you would have went, hey, Paul, you have a concussion. We're going to go this way. He got stoned. He got up. He walked back into the city. He spent the night there before he went to the next town to preach the gospel again. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city. And on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derby. So let's follow on the map where Paul's at now. This is the last stop on the outbound journey of the first missionary journey of Paul. In Iconium, down to Lystra, where he was stoned, now over to east to Derby. He preaches the gospel there. Now we're going inbound. Now we're making the turn. 
Paul's going to go back now towards Antioch and Syria, but along the way, he's going to stop at all the cities he's been to. So if it helps as I read this, you can follow along on the maps. You can kind of see what's happening here. When they had preached, verse 21, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned, they returned to Lystra. They returned to Lystra. They went back to the city that he just got stoned in. And then, and then to Iconium, you know, the city that sent the angry mob to Lystra to make sure he got stoned, and then after Iconium, and then back to Antioch, you know, the other city that sent the other mob to Iconium, and when they couldn't find him there, went with the other mob down to Lystra to make sure he got stoned, he, woke, he goes back to all of these. This is crazy. This is insanity. Had he been surrounded with wise counsel, Paul, they probably would have said, no, 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 Paul. And Barnabas is probably going, hey, Paul, what do you think of maybe like another route back? And he goes, no, 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 right back through, right back through. And I just want to stop and I want to make this third point as we watch Paul go right back to the cities where all of these things happen. We enter the kingdom through many tribulations. Why? Because, because we continue. That's the key. We continue to proclaim Jesus in the face of persecution. You're like, isn't that the same as point two? No, point two says this. Persecution comes for those who will proclaim Jesus. Point three says this. Even after the persecution comes, we'll keep proclaiming Jesus. We'll go back to the cities where the persecution hit. Paul, why are you so adamant on going back? Here it is. Here it is. The phrase we've built the sermon around today. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Why is Paul adamant to go back? Because he knows he needs to encourage these baby Christians. He knows that if that's what they did to him in those cities, what might they be doing to them who are new believers in those cities? And he says, no, we need to go back. Stay strong in the faith. Don't give up. Persevere. It's worth it. And then he says, imagine this. With his cheekbone concaved in from a rock that hit him there, with an eyelid that's drooping and will never be repaired, with a crooked nose, and as he talks, with mouth that shows the teeth that were lost, he says, Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of heaven. And they literally can see what he means. And he encourages and he strengthens. And he speaks this word that the kingdom comes through much tribulation. And they do something else. Verse 23, when they had appointed elders for them in every city with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. They're establishing churches in these cities. So the work would go on after they had left. Elders are appointed. Prayer and fasting has happened. Churches are established in these cities. And then the return journey keeps going. Follow on the maps as we go. Verse 24. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, down there on the shore, they went down to Italia, the port city. And from there they sailed all the way back over the Mediterranean to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. 
And when they arrived in Antioch, they gathered the church together. They declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Back in Antioch, a missions report happens. And the church gathers and they say, Paul, what happened? And he tells them all about the masses who came to know Jesus Christ. And then they no doubt went, yeah, but what happened? And he would have recounted to them the stoning, the fleeing from the cities. Folks, we enter the kingdom through many tribulations. Why? Because we proclaim Jesus and he's polarizing. Because we proclaim Jesus and it will invite persecution. And because we proclaim Jesus and we'll continue proclaiming him even after the persecution has started. Now to this last why we said we'd ask. Why in the world would we follow him then? I mean, Paul, if in your own words you said, anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted why would we follow that path if it invites persecution into our life? And I think if we asked the Apostle Paul that this morning, if he were here, with the cheekbone that never, never healed and the eyelid that was still drooping and the crooked nose, I think a smile, a toothless smile would have crept across his face. And he would have said, you want to know why? Because he's worth it. Yeah, but Paul isn't different. No, he's just worth it. But why, Paul? Because he's worthy of it. But really, Paul, why? Because there's a kingdom at the end that is so good, it can't compare to any of the tribulations we will experience in this world here and now. But why would I follow Jesus if that's what it might mean? Because We're going to sing a song to close today. And if you've been around church world, you're, you've heard this song, you're familiar with this song. Maybe even if you haven't been, you've heard of this song. The song is called, It Is Well With My Soul. Um, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. We usually sing the first verse, and then we usually jump to like the third or the fourth verse. If you grew up in hymn church, the second, you know the second verse never gets any love, right? It's always the first, third, and the fourth. I don't know why. Um, the second verse that we, we don't often sing says uh, these words. Though Satan should buffet. To buffet means to, to beat or to strike repeatedly. Though, though Satan should strike us repeatedly, though trials should come, and they will, Christian. Any gospel proclaimed to you that says, follow Jesus and try, your trials are never to be seen again is a false gospel. Trials will come. Satan will buffet. But listen to this. Let this blessed assurance control that Christ hath regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. And then we sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. Why? Because Satan, you can buffet. 
You can strike and strike and strike, and you can heap trial after trial after trial, but let me tell you something about my Lord. He conquered it all when he went to the cross. Buff it all you want. You might win some battles some days, but you lose the war in the end. He's defeated it. And so church, just stand up right where you're at. Stand up right where you're at. Whatever persecution comes, whatever tribulations come, whatever trials come, we know that in the end, it's already been won on the cross. That's why Paul says, and we studied not too long ago as a church, for me to live is Christ. Kill me. It's gain. There's a kingdom ahead that we enter through many tribulations. That's the hard part. We must enter the kingdom of God. That's the sweet part. And it's all going to be worth it one day. So Satan, you're going to buff it. You're going to strike repeatedly. Trials, they're going to come. But this blessed assurance tells me something. That my God, my Savior, the King of Kings, has regarded my helpless estate and he shed his own blood for my soul. Satan, in the end, you lose. So church is just the closing prayer. Let's lift our voices together and let's sing this anthem.